0: You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HT Smartcast.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Navneet
0: Dubey from Mint's Personal Finance team, and joining with me today is Neil Burate, who heads our team. So today's topic of Why Not Mint Money podcast is how Shadi.com's Anupam Mittal grows his money. In this episode, we will understand how he manages his own money and chooses companies in his portfolio. Hi, welcome to Why Not Mint Money, a personal finance podcast where we help you understand basic money concepts and share strategies for you to build your wealth. So let's get started on your money journey. Hey
1: Neil, how are you? What's up? All good, how are you doing? Must all be quite man, hectic, man, right, with man.
0: with the new season?
1: Ah, uh, well, that's a, that's a trick question, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hectic for the Sony guys. I don't know if it's hectic for me. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but look, nice to connect, man. Likewise. Uh, what's the story? You're doing, buddy?
0: Yes. Um, So just to brief you on this series, it's part of a series that we call Guru Portfolio, where we talk to um, people who um, either manage other people's money or who are prominent uh, in society and the economy and so on, about how they manage their own money. I
1: see.
0: see. Um, So I head the personal finance team at Mint. uh, That's what we specialize in. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, good. good. So... I have somebody counterintuitive stuff <laughs> that uh, probably goes against all tenets of sensible finance. In
0: but, fact, uh, uh, let's yeah. begin from there itself. So, you yeah, put a yeah, sure. uh, LinkedIn post which talked about how concentration rather than diversification is the key to building wealth. Um, yeah. So, in that context, do you are you quite concentrated in your personal portfolio?
1: Yeah, look, you know, see, I think, you know, that, uh, that both I think needs to be taken sort of, uh, within context, right? I mean, otherwise it feels, uh, you know, without context, it feels like I'm telling you, everybody should be concentrated in one or two essence, right? But that's not true. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm really saying is you need to figure out what works for you and what lets you sleep well at night, right? And uh, that's the strategy that one should follow. So in my case, look, I've tried public investing. I've tried investing in creative assets a long time ago. Uh, I've done the real estate investing, right? And none of those actually worked for me. And for various reasons, perhaps, right? Maybe I've got the wrong cycle on real estate. Uh, public markets, again, I could have got the wrong cycle but the yeah. one thing I also found about real estate was that it's a very highly illiquid, particularly if you're buying land, it's like buying a lottery ticket. Right? <laughs> you don't know what will happen when it will become liquid. or you, you don't know what will happen with that land. But I found that with public markets, I tended to spend a lot of time tracking the stock market, the price of the stock and whether I was up or whether I was down. So for my type of mindset, that doesn't work. Right. Right. I prefer something that I can uh, put in money, invest in and not look at for a very long time. Right. And for me, that turned out to be sort of early stage investing. And what I found is, yes, initially, it's very illiquid. Right. But over time, I found that if you are consistently doing early stage investing and you build a large enough portfolio, then there are liquidity events that happen on a regular basis. And if you're choosing wisely or if you have access to the best deals, then generating abnormal returns is not as hard as it might seem.
0: Right. But what would long term be in this case?
1: So I committed myself to that space also because I enjoy it. Right. So there are two, three factors here. One is return. For me, I figured out it works very well. Two is what works better with my mindset. Right. Uh, That asset appealed very well to me right and three is what do you enjoy yeah. right so for me that gives me a kick talking to young entrepreneurs founders shaping new ideas as opposed to financial market gyrations and fourth i'm not that quantitative a guy right i think of myself as more qualitative mm-hmm. somebody who understands human behavior and things like that so these things sit well for me right so that's why i decided i'm going to go all in as far as early-stage investments are concerned.
0: Right. So, um, what would your average decision period be? Like, how much time would it take for you to get an exit from, on average, from your investments?
1: See, the hope is five years, right? But it doesn't happen in India. <clears throat> right, India exit stories are more like 10 years. Right. Of course, m and things like that happen earlier, <clears throat> mm-hmm. <clears throat> right? But generally speaking, you know, it, it looks more like 8-10 years when you're waiting for a sort of IPO type of exit. Right. right. But on an average, like if you look at the number of exits I've had, I've had about 20 exits, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And if I just look, uh, it looks like it's about 4-5 years.
0: Yeah,
1: right. Some are less, some are more, but generally speaking, on an average, it's about four to five years.
0: Yeah, that's quite a good time period then.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the average. I'm just looking at my twenty exits, and I'm just giving you a sense of uh, five to six years. But the big alpha contributors, I think, those generally take ten years. Right. Right? if you want a several thousand x return then that you have to let the company play out.
0: yeah
1: right <clears throat> but yeah so that's that's kind of so that's why I'm concentrated fully in the early stage space and uh, and my time frame is really forever. Yeah. so mm-hmm. I don't you know think about it in terms of five year cycles. And I know that if I keep doing the right things consistently, the liquidity opportunities present themselves, if not every year, every second year. Sometimes you hit air pockets like the one we just hit, and then you may not see any liquidity for a couple of years. Yeah. So that's the that's, that's the flip side of the argument. Right.
0: right. So if you had to divide your portfolio percentage-wise between... Wow. Um, Startup investments, uh, public equity, uh, yeah. debt, etc. How would that split go? <laughs> yeah. hmm. Interesting.
1: It's like ninety-nine percent uh, startup investments. Right. Right. And obviously, I mean, some part of it is my own operating companies as well. Right. But there, I've not put in that much money, right? Because I've started from scratch. Yeah. <clears throat> right. So, but if you look at actual capital invested, yeah, i put in some money there, of course, a couple of million If you look at actual capital invested, it would probably be... Uh, it's all startup. It depends on how you look at it. If you want to look at it <clears throat> from a... Mark to market standpoint. Yeah. Right. If you assume, you know, yeah, it would more or less be uh, 99% would be my operating company and startup business.
0: Right. So that includes your stake in Chadir.com. Yeah. And the balance, I assume, would be in um, some sort of safe debt instrument.
1: There is no balance left. I'm telling you, 99% is startup investments. Okay. (laughs)
0: There's
1: no balance left.
0: Right. So uh, I mean,
1: I I have some couple of properties, but you know, that would be maybe let's see. Right. Actually, yeah, I take that back. Yeah, I'd say five percent is real estate. Mm-hmm. Five to seven percent is real estate. Right. And uh, you know uh, you know rest of it is operating company and startup business.
0: And between these two categories, would you have a rough split like between operating and startup? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think both have done well for me. But if, are you talking about mark-to-market?
0: Whichever is easy, easier for you to calculate.
1: <laughs> no, look, if you look at it from a capital allocation standpoint, then obviously it's all startup because I haven't, you know, I've put maybe <clears throat> a million or so in the company. Wait, wait, let's, let's redo this. I forgot about some debt that I've given out. So, about 2% debt mm-hmm. given out.
0: So, uh, loans to... That's too- a very, People, etc.
1: Hmm?
0: G- dead, given out. People as a... and
1: com- com- companies,
0: right. Right. right?
1: About six, seven percent real estate. Okay. And ninety-three uh, percent uh, oh. <laughs> private company investments. Okay. Okay. So highly concentrated.
0: Right. And. Any number, the number of startups you would have invested in would be what?
1: More than 200 now with Shark Tank. I mean, that itself. So, what, 220 maybe, approximately.
0: But that would be skewed to a few, right? I mean, uh, you would have...
1: Returns are always skewed to a few. So, I'll give you some numbers. 60 of the companies have already failed.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: 20, have already got good exits from. Okay. Uh... 60 more will fail <clears throat> probably i don't know 40 50 maybe will right, fail. Right. right uh another 40 will give me returns out of which 10 are going to be super abnormal returns mm-hmm. That's kind of what it looks like all right i've got about three four unicorns maybe got 8 to 10 sunicons in the portfolio. So, eventually I'll end up with
0: 7, 8 unicorns.
1: Right. Although I don't like that language, so I'm not chasing unicorns as such. I'm just chasing a good return.
0: Sure. And a good return for you would be what, CAGR?
1: No. Good. <laughs> so, so, look, I've been doing this for 15 years. Right. Right. My realized IRR, because I started with such little money,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. it's about 49%. Mm -hmm. That's realized over 15 years.
0: Right.
1: Right. Now, if you add unrealized over time, of course, time will also pass. So that also adds, you know, puts pressure on your IRR. Mm -hmm. But given the companies that I'm seeing in my portfolio, I think I should be able to maintain an IRR in the 40s. Mm.
0: Right.
1: So now, I know the future is not a predictor of the past, but when you have that kind of lucky streak, if you want to call it that, yeah. for you, your benchmarks becomes you know 40 plus percent, right? Okay.
0: Right.
1: So when I look at something, I want to believe that it can give me, you know, 50 uh, percent type of IRR or maybe a hundred x return over the next next 10 years so if I believe that a company can do that
0: then yeah. I'll invest yeah. now you mentioned that with public markets yeah. there's a lot of daily tracking of stock prices involved yeah. um, with private equity how often do you review and track your investments
1: so we have a system right mm-hmm. uh, most of the companies at least the ones that are worth tracking send us a monthly or a quarterly, depends, some sense monthly, some sense quarterly.
0: Right.
1: Uh, they send us an MIS okay. <laughs> and broadly we look at it, okay. whether we need to deep dive or no. If it's on track, it's doing well, everything's okay, we're fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't really bother. Okay. If it's doing very badly also, we don't bother because there's nothing we can do. <laughs> no. It's yeah. too late, yeah. right? Uh, if the founder has written that they need help in certain area, so you know there is something going on, then we jump in and help out. So we've helped out a lot of our companies with <clears throat> rich financing, helping raise them, Series A or Series B, connecting them to angel investors, connecting them to customers, right? So okay. Um. so how often do we talk to we don't talk to some companies for months at end mm-hmm. but some companies I talk to on a weekly basis at any given time I'm talking to at least at any particular given time I'm talking to 5 to 7 companies mm-hmm. right now and that might last for a few weeks and then half those companies will get replaced by some other companies right, if you know what I mean
0: yeah yeah So if you had to name say, two startups that you would think are your best investments ever, which would those be?
1: Well, you mean realized or unrealized? Both. Yeah, look, realized I think it's very clear, right? It's Interactive Avenue, which became India's largest digital ad agency. And it's Makan.com, which gave me, from an absolute standpoint, it gave me a great return. No, actually, look at unrealized. Uh, you know, obviously there's uh, uh there's a few, right? I mean there's Ola, there's Rupeek, yeah. right? There's so we've got a bunch of companies there. There's Jupiter, the Neobank, there's yeah. zenai a company in the US, it's doing really well. Uh there's Cool, which is the rocket company, mm-hmm. which I was an early investor in Right. So many of these have grown pretty
0: well. There's animal, yeah, where I own a significant stake. So with these, um, you know, outperforming companies, they would have become quite a large part of your portfolio. Um, yeah. Approximately how much would that be in, in percentage terms? Like the top five companies would account for what percent?
1: It's the same power law, no? Right. Top five companies will account for about uh, two thirds. Top five, no, top take okay, top ten. It will account for two thirds.
0: Okay. Um, no. But that's also
1: that's also because many investments have been recent. Right. So they haven't really fully grown into their valuations. Yeah. We have some pretty solid companies that. Yeah. Now, there's also Far Eye, for example, which is a very healthy investment, uh, which is a Sunicon, I think they're at 500 million. Uh, and there is another one called uh, Far Eye or WhatFix, which is again a Sunicon, they're at 500 million. Okay. So okay. if I take all these companies, the top 10, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Investor and big basketballs, I hold some shares there. So I take the top 10. And I think they'll account for about 60,
0: 70%. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Now, given that most of your portfolio is in illiquid uh, private companies, you would have an emergency fund, right? Uh, A sort of amount that can see you through for a long amount of time. So how do you right. calculate that? Normally it's done as a percentage of
1: so uh, I, I have a line of credit. I okay. don't have an emergency fund. That's right. Right. So for me, I have with my banks and wealth managers based on my assets, I have pretty good lines of credit. Yeah. Because I pay interest of nine to ten percent. Yeah. The return I'm generating is not of forty right, so forty eight percent so far. So I don't block my funds there, but my line of credit sometimes I use, sometimes I don't use.
0: Sure, fair enough. Do you have um, life or health insurance?
1: I have both, mm-hmm. but uh, health insurance is through the company we have a corporate mm-hmm. plan. And life insurance Is not something I did on my own account Frankly It's yeah. something That my dad Subscribed me For when I was Very very young
0: Achy. It's
1: typical things That everybody Used to do Back in the nineties.
0: Yeah
1: uh, So same way I yeah, have a life insurance Policy But I have not bought Any on my own
0: Yeah Was it an LIC policy <laughs> Yeah
1: exactly
0: <laughs> um, Now there is a trend of rising inflation in this environment. Yeah. Um, do you have any faith in either gold or real estate? To some extent, you do. Uh, but in in how would you protect yourself from this kind of environment?
1: Uh, do I need to protect myself? <laughs> I'm, st- you know, if I'm generating more than forty five percent returns right. and inflation is even at seven and eight percent sure my real return comes down yeah but I'm not trying to optimize two percentage points right I'm playing for abnormal prop returns yeah I'm not playing for uh, that's why I said you know I don't understand quantitative and optimizing you know instead of eight percent how do I increase my return to nine percent yeah because <laughs> that is not my personality right uh, to do accounting and all that that's why you know my goal is to you know you become so wealthy that you don't have to keep accounts so you don't have to keep budgets Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> that's the whole objective I don't know how to so I'm, I'm not trying to optimize for that 1 or 2% right I'm trying to find alpha returns
0: yeah
1: Right. so for me inflation doesn't trouble me as much what troubles me is and they're connected Uh, what troubles me is uh, lack of liquidity Hmm. and uh, you know lack of funding for markets become tight and money becomes expensive then a lot of companies start struggling to raise money yeah So, you lose a few more than you would otherwise lose. Correct. So, that's what troubles me. So, my adjustments are more around my investment strategy, right? So, basically, you stop doing momentum plays. Yeah. You stop uh, doing capital uh, intensive companies and businesses. Yeah. Then you reorient your
0: strategy. Correct. Right?
1: So that's what we've done.
0: How much time do you get to study a pitch um, before it is brought to you in Shark Tank and after?
1: Oh my God. <laughs> I don't get any time to study at meal I see the pitch when you see the pitch. That's right. <laughs> there is no pre-research there is no deck we don't even know the name of the company forget the sector right uh, the first time we see the pitcher and the founder is when the door opens okay. so it's all real
0: okay and after right and after they have pitched and after the show has happened um, yeah you would have some window in which to look at the documents right
1: Well, we don't have a window per se. Ideally, we want to do it as quickly as possible. But the truth of the matter is that many of the founders who come uh, on a show like that are very early stage. In many cases, they have not yet formed the company. A lot of compliances are not in place. So they can sometimes take a couple of months to get those in place. (laughs) For the companies that are slightly more mature, it happens more quickly. Companies who have to act together, you can finish your transaction within a couple of weeks after Shark Tank season is over. This is the question last about question, which Neil wanted to ask, was: uh, uh, Can you elaborate on the Dream elite campaign you launched on the- Instagram? Yeah, I mean, we've done a couple of exciting things in the last couple of uh, weeks. I think one is, I don't know if you watched the movie Anupam Ki Shaadi, but if you haven't, you should go watch it. And because we are so early stage focused, and especially after Shark Tank, a lot of people wanted to know the story of shali.com. So we actually made a movie about it, right, and it's a three and a half minute film, which is not a documentary or narration, but we actually lived the last, relived the last 20 years and, you know, I had to look 20 years younger and that was a challenge and so on, but we did it. And the film has become kind of viral. It's got, I mean, close to 8, 10 million views across social media, which has been great. But more recently, you know, a lot of people would have funding and involved mm-hmm. <clears throat> some mentorship. And unfortunately, now with Shark Tank and with my day job, It's very hard to even get back to people because I get hundreds uh, in a month. I get thousands of emails, WhatsApp messages, calls. I can't even possibly take them. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of young people who are very inspired by entrepreneurship and they want a chance to meet people like me and they want a chance to, uh, you know, try their hand at something, but they don't know how. So Dream Deal fundamentally is an initiative for us to try to inspire these people. You know, we're giving away grants, we're not really taking any equity in exchange. And uh, all you have to do is do it through a reel. So we're really taking down the barriers for you to be able to get in touch with me, put up a nice creative reel. If you have a creative idea, a good idea, you can put together something nice to so show exceptionalism in some way. You know, not only can you get a grant from me, you can get some time from me and some mentorship. So it's really to democratize entrepreneurship, to take it to the young people, to take it to people and uh, who don't have otherwise access to VC's and capital. So, uh, so that's what it is. It's uh, it's doing well. It's uh, it's taken off. So let's see.
0: Arubam, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can
1: hear you now. Yeah,
0: sorry for that. Um, so just to Kind of finish off on the question I'd asked about Shark Tank. So, after a pitch is made and you've agreed to invest there, how often yeah. do you find that that particular startup is not living up to the claims made in the show? Like, how often do you find that?
1: I, you know, I, it depends. It's different at different places. I mean, but you know, it's the same 80 20 rule, right? uh i mean claims ki baat nahin, yeah? i wouldn't say claims but sometimes you've agreed on certain things but reality has changed once you've left the shop then. right uh, sometimes you know you thought it was something but it turned out to be something else right so i think there are cases you know maybe 20 percent of the time that the deal doesn't happen but most of the deals go through
0: right okay
1: because i think the, the guys who come on the platform they are told you know they are mm-hmm. uh they are informed that look uh, there will be a diligence process however short after this yeah. to ensure that whatever claims that you've made are true
0: absolutely so i think
1: most people stick to the truth
0: yeah makes sense
1: yeah yeah
0: great uh anupam it was lovely speaking
1: to you thank you so much for your time same here Navneet, and uh, this is awesome
0: That brings us to the end of our episode. If you would like to know more or make suggestions of a personal finance topic that you want us to cover, you can reach out to me on Twitter at IamNavneetDube. Thank you for tuning in. See you in the next episode.
1: This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.